Welcome to the Practice Brave Podcast. I am the host, Brianna Battles, founder of Pregnancy and Postpartum Athleticism and CEO of Everyday Battles. I'm a career strength and conditioning coach, entrepreneur, mom of two wild little boys, and a lifelong athlete. I believe that athleticism does not end when motherhood begins, and this podcast is dedicated to coaching you by providing meaningful conversations, insights, and interview topics related to fitness, mindset, parenting, and of course, all the nuances of pregnancy and postpartum. From expert interviews to engaging conversations and reflections, this podcast is your trustworthy, relatable resource for learning how to practice brave through every season in your life. I'm excited to let you know that enrollment is opening in October for the Pregnancy and Postpartum Athleticism Coaching Certification. You can get on the waitlist now to have access to a $500 coupon that you can use between October 12th and the 16th. I completely updated this certification course in early 2023. And so now it includes 10 modules, all of coaching information on how to effectively coach pregnant and postpartum athletes. There's 20 expert interviews, exercising programming templates. You will be listed in our coach directory after completing the certification. And we give you plenty of ideas and options for growing or expanding your coaching business. I would love to have you join us as a pregnancy and postpartum athleticism coach. And you can get on the wait list by using the link located in the show notes, which is briannabattles.com slash waitlist. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to the Practice Brave podcast. Today, I'm here with Carrie Pagliano. She is a pelvic health physical therapist, and she helps so many different people manage pregnancy, postpartum, and any kind of core and pelvic health symptoms. She's kind of my go-to PT when I'm pissed off about something, when I need a like first line of defense, someone to refer to, or if I have a question about something with a client, I send her a text. And recently we were having a conversation and I was like, I'm mad. And then she's like, you know what? I'm mad too. And we <laughs> thought that it was time to bring her on the podcast again to talk about all things pelvic health and how it, what we've seen evolve over the last decade. And then honestly, even within the last like three to five years, when it comes to the messaging around pelvic health and female athletes, what they're told about incontinence, prolapse, et cetera, things have changed. And we have sort of been part of that change and watched it change culturally. So Carrie, thank you for being here. Thanks for throwing up the bat signal. I'm here for it. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So tell us a little bit about yourself for those that do not know you. Yeah. So um, first and foremost, wife and mother, I've got two kids um, that are nine and 12. I've been in pelvic health for 25 years now, which doesn't make any sense at all. And have my own practice here in Arlington, Virginia. I've had that for five years. And I've kind of navigated my own issues. I was that PT that I worked in pelvic health for you know 13 years before I got pregnant. Thought I knew what I was doing. Um, has been a runner all my life. Um, and realized that I was sorely mistaken after the fact. And really couldn't find that bridge between what I was teaching other people and sport. And um, kind of like you, I wasn't going to take no for an answer and was going to kind of figure out my own way. And somewhere in there started doing CrossFit too. And so it's it's been a lovely journey combining what I love to do physically, um, which is run and be active and that kind of stuff. Um, and then also really push my field forward because there isn't a lot of research. There's not a lot of stuff that we know. We need to bastardize a lot of things that we take from other areas like sports and orthopedics. And, and that's just fun. And it's 
fun when you've got somebody else as fired up as you and throws up the bad signal and we're like, let's, let's fix, let's fix it. (laughs) Yeah. You know, I think what's been frustrating for me is like, I haven't experienced pelvic health symptoms, but what I've experienced is being awakened to the significant lack of support, understanding and resources that women in general have during pregnancy and postpartum. And then when there's something quote wrong with their vagina, then there's really no information, understanding, et cetera. It's really taboo. It's really shameful. And it can affect every single part of their life, not just their fitness, but their intimacy, their body, their um, body image, like so many different factors where they, it feels like motherhood has now robbed them of something that is so intimate that is so sometimes even embarrassing to talk about. And it was through these different DMs and messages that I've been getting through the years that it's just like, this is a significant problem. And it's not just pregnant and postpartum women. This is a women's health issue. And even within that, what we have seen is really conservative treatment, women being dismissed or given like ridiculous guidelines to live their life within, or the other extreme of just like, you know, you got to live with it or ignore it or like, right. no, like that doesn't happen. It's not that big of a deal. So like either way, there's kind of like dismissive experiences yeah. and that makes me mad as a woman. Yes. Yeah. I mean, yes to all the things it's, it's, it's so interesting. I, we're, we're at such a poignant part. I think there's a, a culmination of, I think more women are vocal about stuff. I think, especially a lot of our, our pro athletes um, in the, you know, just women athletes period um, in the running space. We've had a couple amazing books come out this spring, Lauren Fleshman, um, uh, Kara Goucher, Deslin, and all talk about just like their experiences as, you know, youth athletes and dealing with nobody wanted to talk about periods. Nobody wanted to talk about this in relationship to, you know, pelvic health and, 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 you know, bone health and all sorts of those things. And then, you know, more women getting pregnant, talking about it, sharing their experiences on social media. And then, you know, the the travesties that are happening, you know, I, I can't remember the sprinter's name. What was it? A week or two ago, she died in pregnancy and wasn't found for three weeks. Like, what the hell is going on? And so wrapping your head around all that right now, it's like, okay, <laughs> it's going to change. Yeah, like it's 2023 <laughs> Do we not have more support and more informed approaches to the changes our bodies experience during these seasons? And you know, something I keep freaking saying forever is like, we are not fragile and we are also not invincible. So where is this line of really having a better understanding of maybe what we're predisposed to through these seasons, whether it is um, medical predispositions or core and pelvic health predispositions, genetic predispositions, whatever it might be, like getting a true inventory of our body so that we can make better choices at an individual level about training, about birth, about recovery, about getting the right support systems in place. But we're up against a lot of barriers. Yeah. Um, If you haven't read it already, Christine, you just came out with up to speed. Um, Basically it's history of female sport and it's amazing kind of cross-generational view of how the hell we got here, basically the patriarchy. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, you know, all the changes and questions that we continue to have, a lot of them around hormones, pelvic health and that sort of thing. And she shares a lot of stories of athletes. It's a, a great book. Um, I love that we have to look back in order to figure out where to go, but I do see 
I do see signs of hope. I had um, a client recently that I had treated her mom years ago and her daughter is now 18. That's like kind of weird. <laughs> it is um, that, awesome. because, I, because I'm 12, right? So you've been in the game, girl. You've been right? in the game. <laughs> and, and so her daughter is, you know, just finished first year in college and um, is having inability to have sex. And her mom is like, hey, I, I know this is a, you know, like, can you see her? I trust you. And it was so cool. She came in and she's talking to me about, hey, this is what we tried to do. And this didn't work. And of course, you know, background was a dancer and kind of all this stuff. Like, so it's very classic, like yeah. overactivity sorts of things, very classic dyspareunia. Um, but the fact that we got to it so early because she had this open conversation with her mom who was aware, um, aware of where to go, aware to like, Hey, there's help for this. Um, and you know, it's funny because my daughter's nine and this girl's like 18. And so I, I get to see where I'm going and what relationship I'm trying to create with my kids about, I want us to talk about this. And so right now my daughter, we're talking about periods and hormones. And um, I, I had a dad the other day at the pool, like his daughter who's 14, she's slowing down. And he's like, yeah, she just seems lazier now. I'm like, no, it's her freaking hormones. Like hell. So I feel like, I mean, I, I feel like at least we're starting to have those conversations. There's those glimmers and there's places to point people, but um, the prevalence of just misinformation, lack of information, not knowing where to find trusted information, I think continues throughout all of this as well. And that's probably one of the hardest things is you're sitting here being like, I know I need to do something. I don't know where to start. Right. And I think what I'm seeing and what's reflected in so many of the emails and messages I get is like, I know enough to know that what I've been told is not correct. Right. I I know that. And I also don't know what the next right thing is. So how do I figure that out? Who do I talk to? How do I get a better idea of what I actually need? So maybe they had a really significant tear. They're having a lot of pelvic health symptoms. Maybe they think they have prolapse. They're seeing something, they're feeling something like, what is this? I know that you've talked about this. I know that this is not quote normal, but also my doctor told me it's normal or also my doctor cleared me to run or also this, you know, or my PT told me I can never squat again. Like they're told really limiting information and we know enough to know that that's not accurate, but also don't know what the alternative is. Right. And, and, and there's, there's a whole bunch of um, things to kind of unpack in there too, common sense wise, like somebody telling you not to squat and, and now they're fearful of squatting. But then when you say to them, you know, when you sit down on the toilet, that's a squat. Right. And they're like, Oh yeah. So like in the midst of fear, you, you kind of lose a little bit of your logic and your sanity because you have this person in a position of power and authority telling you not to do something. Mm-hmm. And on one hand, you're like, all right, well, I, I know this, but then this person is telling me that. And so there's really kind of a, a challenge of authority and like, who do you trust? And, and could it be that this person, this physician may not know all things? And again, it's kind of stepping back and, and reframing where you should expect to get information. And and I I have some amazing OBGYNs that I work with. I have some amazing friends that are in that field. My expectations for them are, you know, in that postpartum visit, you're going to make sure that I'm not spewing things that should not be spewed out of my body. You're going to make sure that, you know, I'm not having postpartum depression as much as possible, making sure that like, they're going to make sure that you've got birth control, even though sex is the last thing on your mind. 
Um, like that's what you should expect. Do not expect your OBGYN to understand the minutia of your workout. Find the person that would understand that and appreciate that. But you know, I think the other thing that's incredibly confusing, and we talked about this a little bit before we went on, was how fast things are evolving. And that's what I love about being in this field is if I have a client that I haven't seen in three years, I got a whole new barrel of stuff to try with her, things that I know now that I didn't know then. And we were just saying that like the last three years, especially, I know I'm treating running incredibly different. I'm treating pelvic organ and prolapse incredibly different considering the role of overactivity. I dare say the majority of our patients have overactivity related to their pelvic floor issues. Whereas when I first started 25 years ago, athletes, right? hundred percent. 25 years ago, your only criteria was pain with sex. Mm -hmm. And when people hold on to that and they're like, oh, well, you don't have pain with sex. You can't possibly have that. I'm like, no, no, no. What about this and this and this and this and this. Mm -hmm. And so the more we learn, I think it's more important to find a provider that's willing to critically think and problem solve with what is going on and pull that stuff together other than being like, hey, this is the algorithm for pelvic organ prolapse. Like it doesn't work that way anymore. <laughs> like it just doesn't because we know so much more. Yeah. I mean, that's why I feel a little crazy, but that's why there's been in six years, three iterations of my pregnancy and postpartum it has to. certification. Yeah. Like, how are we, how is this not industry standard? I know that I seem like maybe a little neurotic, but things change and my coaching and my deliverables of like, this is how I would say it now. This is how I would advise them now. And Mm -hmm. honestly, just the reps of working with people in real life, like that, take, get rid of the evidence for a second. Like there's so much we learn from actually working with a runner or an MMA fighter or a dancer where you're like, I don't know if like the evidence supports this, but it's freaking working. And like, we are the people that are actively creating the evidence and the evidence comes out a little bit later, you know, like that kind of confirms what we're doing a little bit later. And that's not to say that we can't use evidence to guide our choices now. Cause again, we have more and more things coming out. Our field is changing rapidly, but at the same time, like it's, we have a huge opportunity as being the people that are actually seeing the people. Yes. Not just like going off of theories, like we're actively in the trenches. We're creating this evidence. Well, and I I think, you know, I've always been one that if I'm going to make a decision, I want to understand kind of what the other side is is talking about. And I don't think people realize, I think, I don't remember the exact number. It's like 13 or 17 years from the time that research is published to the time that it's incorporated in in standard of practice. Holy Um, shit. I don't have time for that. Say that again. I could, it, it's definitely over 10 okay. <laughs> years between time of publication to incorporation and standard of practice. So for um, example, that is why when your provider may tell you, don't get your heart rate over 140 beats per minute, for example, during pregnancy, that was outdated years ago. Mm-hmm. Like what was it, like the nineties early yeah. where that was outdated. Well, and here's the other thing too. Again, it's still being communicated in 2023. I've I've um, been on multiple committees writing for specialty board exams and even for the basic licensure exam for my profession. And um, for a study to be incorporated in an exam, you can't have studies any more than 10 years old. So that's a lot of change right there. 
And But you can use textbooks to refer to for the, the question. So when item writers write a question, it can come from a book or a study no more than 10 years old. But I think it can't be any earlier than like three. It, it can't be like it just came out yesterday. Yeah. And for a study to get in a textbook, it's going to take three to five years for that to happen. Then the book has got to get published. And then if I can only have books that are up to eight years old, like do the math on that one too. Yeah. Like, And so when you understand that, then evidence-informed as opposed to evidence-based, I think has a little bit more context. And again, when you understand research, especially in sport, the prevalence of females as research subjects, the limitations on pregnant women as research subjects, the limitations on like heart rate and like, which has been such a barrier for our female, our our professional female athletes. Like once you understand that you're like, Oh, okay. And you can be pissed about it, but I'm like, I'm not going to go get my PhD anytime soon. God bless the people who are, but (laughs) um, in the meantime, knowing what I know about that, I've still got to deal with this person in front of me. And that's where, again, I think it's been such a blessing having more viewpoints. And that's what I love between like the collaboration between coaches and PTs, because we all look at things from a little bit different way. We come with different skill sets and we can kind of walk around something and navigate it. If you're coming at it with just that linear lens, you're going to miss a bunch of stuff. And, and so again, having background in other areas and also doing those sports yourself Yes. I think there's so much to be said about bringing that forward and speaking. I mean, you talk so much about athlete mindset and like, that's such a thing. Um, like all of that contributes to how we have been moving this ball forward. Oh gosh. Like when I think about a lot of people say, well, the ACOG says that exercising during pregnancy is really healthy and safe for mom. I'm like, yeah, man, like we know that, like we have known that. And people try to use that as a way to like justify however they're choosing to train. My my doctor told me it's fine to keep doing this Y or Z or keep doing what I've always done. The ACOG supports it. And at the same time, what's not reflected there is core pelvic health, long-term yeah. athletic performance, which is the shit that like actually kind of matters for the quality of life mm-hmm. for our female athlete. They don't need to yeah. be convinced that it's healthy for them. Like we know exercising unless there's any kind of contraindication is healthy for mom and baby during pregnancy and into motherhood. Yep. We freaking know, but there's a big disconnect in taking. What does that look like? Healthy and safe. And also like, what are the other considerations? And that's what, Mm -hmm. you know, my business has done for eight years, but it still is that reflected in mainstream research. Yeah. Not yet. We're getting doses of it. And I think what we've really tried to focus on between your field and my field is how do we connect the dots between like the physiology, core and pelvic health, yeah. and like the psychology, yeah. and then the long-term athletic performance. Like that is how I've connected dots to know what are we prescribing as advice, training advice, navigating through pregnancy and postpartum. It's like, let's look at those three. Because if yeah. we're not looking at those three, we're missing significant pieces of the puzzle. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And 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 I, I think, you know, the sooner we can have those conversations, I was talking to somebody earlier today about, you know, when do you start those conversations? And I love having them even before women get pregnant, because let's start working on that mindset piece. Yeah. 
um, let's start because lots of times it's such, I mean, mental health obviously is, is such a huge piece of this as well. And a lot of women use their activity and sport to manage that and see that as part of their identity. Like if you don't recognize that in a conversation with the person you're working with, you're, you're missing so much of it, what that yeah. means to them. Right. Um, they'll make choices for their training and their body. That's from a place of scarcity or right. ego or fear or insecurity. And yes. also like we self-sabotage and I certainly have in multiple mm-hmm. seasons in multiple seasons of life, but it's all from that athlete brain versus a, a athletic maturity. Perspective. Right. How right. can I look at this from a more enlightened or mature version of myself versus my, um, like instant gratification yeah. of pushing boundaries or of almost like proving something to myself or other people yes. or this fear around my body changing and then trying to control it or on the yes. other postpartum trying to control how fast you get back to any kind of baseline. Like there's so much ego and not even in bed, but it is, it's just our, our egos. Like they drive so much of our choice. Yeah. We don't address that freaking early before your whole life and body is about to change. Like well, it's going to make it a harder thing to navigate when you're already in it. You can, And here's the thing too. I mean, I, I think you can even navigate that as just a human. Right. And then when you get pregnant and postpartum, not be able to put that in that context. Um, I find that a lot here in the DC area, we have a lot of uh, older moms um, being one of them. I think I was actually a young one for around here. Um, I think I was 34 when I had Gianni. And um, just you have this fixed mindset that you can kind of control everything. And um, I think first time around moms, we whether we verbalize it or understand it or not, we feel like we have something to prove. Yes. And it's a damn shame um, that of all the things that we have on our plate, that that's one more thing that we feel like we need to do. And I think usually by the second, I see glimmers of, you know, less Fs to give, but, um, if you're not considering all that and then, and then throw on, if you're having symptoms or you're having, you know, you feel like you Google prolapse, like (laughs) you put those two things together and you've got a mental health shit show. (laughs) I feel like, yeah, you're right. Like that's a really interesting point as a human, like I had to Kate at 27, like who I was as a human and how I was living my life and my thought processes and my choices, how I was spending my time, like everything from 10 years ago mm-hmm. is dramatically different. Mm-hmm. How I think and operate, spend my time, what my training looks like, everything is dramatically different. Mm-hmm. Yes, there are some similar themes who I am, what I like, what I do. I've always been a little, I, my wiring is consistent. <laughs> what that looks like is very different at a human yeah. level. And then yes. you're right, you add the element of like mom or athlete and expectations on top of that. And you go through a significant evolution. Yeah. But there's a lot of maturity that's gained over the course of any 10 years. Just like when we look like who we are mm-hmm. between 16 and 26, like yes. you're clearly a very different person. And who I am now between who I am when I'm 50, it's going to be a very different person. Yet that's not factored in when now we're adding a whole baby, a whole other person right. to come into our life that we're now very responsible for. It's no longer just about us. 
oh, and by the way, you're not sleeping. You have to limit what you eat because it'll mess with their poop. You've got hamburger nipples. Um, yeah. You can't lose the baby weight. Oh, all that other stuff too. But you know, I digress. Yeah, <laughs> it's really hard. I've seen it like my sister just living it so closely with someone this yeah. year. Today is actually Theo's first birthday. Oh. I know. And it's just been such a fucking hard year for her, man. Like, and Desiree and I are very similar. Like we're kind of like really rigid in, yeah. in how we are and we got to learn things the hard way, but it's yeah. been, it's been such a steep learning curve of like, how am I, how do people do this? How do they balance working full time and exercising and my changing body and my ability to even try yeah. to work out and like how I feel. And then his feeding and like just all the issues that can be attached to having a baby that struggles in different areas, like whatever it might be from nursing to food, whatever. It's just like that first year. And I don't miss it. Like, I don't miss, I Mm -hmm. love, I Mm -hmm. love like, give me a one-year-old, but like before that, hell no, like, no, it's too hard because they are a hundred percent dependent on you. If I could like birth like an 18 month old, I'd like maybe go for it again. But you know, I I need it like that. I know. Yeah. My, my oldest didn't sleep. So no, I don't need to go back to that. But yeah. um, No, you've mentioned to me multiple times, like just how hard it's been for your sister. And I mean, that has to like, knowing that you're in this space and trying to make so many changes and feeling like, yeah, we're finally moving things. And then you turn around and you, you know, and she's got you like, that's gotta be harder than hell. Like without me being in the same state as her, she at least has access to a lot of knowledge and education. And even still what she's been told by her doctor, what she's been told by a Euro guy, what she's been told by a pelvic PT. Like, I'm just like, I'm, and Desiree is, um, she has her doctorate. She's a very smart lady who really cares about research. Here's the freaking problem. The research isn't reflective of like what we actually know yet. Yeah. You know, and so it's she's like she needs to hear it from someone who's not her sister. So I'm like, so talk to Carrie. Uh, she'd be yep. a good point person for you. Or hey, come yep. when she was in Idaho, I had her go to Mindy, one of our yes, calls. that was and great, was incredible. Because I was like, she needs the reassurance yes. from literally an internal perspective, yes. and like the and the delivery of information, and it cannot be from her sister. It does not freaking matter that I can do this with professional. Mm -hmm. You're still 13 in her head. It's fine. still (laughs) a bitchy older sister who knows everything and is constantly telling her what to do. Like that is what it comes down to. Mm -hmm. But if Desiree is still facing these barriers and she has access to someone who can like dispel a lot of that shit, like the majority of people are living similar experiences to her, at least in a couple of categories and have no idea what to do. Mm-hmm. No idea who to turn to, no idea what's actually right versus not what their training should look like, what is normal for their body or not yep. normal and then what to do about it. They yep. do not know. Yeah. They don't know. Yeah. And, and I think it, it's so interesting when I think back because this wasn't a conversation and, and we, we talked about, you know, how so much has changed and it really, and this is, somebody asked me today, they're like, how, how we met. And I don't remember, I'll be honest. Um, <laughs> and I'm like, we still have never been together in the same room, but it's all good. Um, but we kind of, cause our, our kids, um, Kate is just, I think a year younger than Analia. Yeah. Um, and I feel like we were kind of coming up in a similar space in time in which you had these pockets of active women and we had pockets of providers being like, Hey, we got to do, 
do better here. And people don't realize that. I mean, Kate's what, eight? Annalia's nine? Like 10 this. Oh, he will? Oh my goodness. I'm I'm making him younger. Okay. So when's his birthday? June 25th. Which, oh, well, happy birthday, Cade. Oh, God. he's older than Analia then. So Analia's birthday is, um, uh, she'll be 10 in September. Um, so yeah, we're coming up in this space and not only trying to find solutions because of our work, but because of this is what we're kind of going through ourselves. And people don't realize these were not conversations that we had. When I was working with a runner, first of all, I wouldn't have worked with a CrossFitter like 13 years ago right, because- It wasn't fully even a thing. And well, first of as much <laughs> in 2013, like PTs yeah. and CrossFit was like this awesome. anyway. So, yeah. you know, people oh, I remember really- I'm certified through NSCA, so I remember that. So, whole you know, thing. yeah, and um, doing CrossFit and knowing like that I was doing CrossFit what 2020, 2009, 2010, like it was, yeah. So, it, so, so you just being <laughs> in the gym doing a thing was enough, like yeah. having a female doing the thing, and then okay, now okay, someday you're gonna get pregnant and have a kid. And now like you're, that's the thing people don't realize is these yeah. things were not happening. Like women were Just running and years ago, barely <laughs> running marathons in the late seventies. Like I'm a child of the seventies. Like they weren't doing it. Yeah. <laughs> so we've got an evolution of practice that I, it's not ideally meeting the demand, but we also have such a change in how active women are. Like I, I talk about my mom all the time. She, my parents did not like they built our house. We got wood for the house. We garden. Like it was very kind of like little house on the prairie. They started running to keep up with me, to find me on the cross country running course. They started Nordic skiing to find me on the ski course yeah. and then kept going. After I went to college, my mom started going to the gym before work, which is freaking revolutionary. I mean, your mom's a badass, you know, her one, one and a half million hits on her, wow. like, her 200 pounds viral mom for right? like at that volume. That's for sure. Right. But, but it's true. Like our mother's generation either is not very active or yeah. they got a later start or yes. if they were doing it when we were younger, it was probably very aerobic based. Yes. There was a yeah. very small handful of women that were pursuing any kind of weightlifting in the seventies, eighties and yes. 90s, pretty small. And then pregnant athlete quote, like that's copyrighted terms because that became a thing within the last decade. When I started right. writing about this postpartum right. athlete, this was not terminology no. that anyone used until I started creating programs and like writing about it and kind of like, how do I label what this population identifies right. as? Because right. we're not just pre and postnatal, like that's freaking lame. That's why it never resonated with me. Like anything to do with pre and postnatal exercise. I was like, that's freaking dumb. Like that is yeah. so dumb. We are not like these fragile people that need all these different unique considerations. But that's it never resonated 10 years ago. Yeah. And freaking still, I see some stuff and I'm just like, oh my God. But that's what we were taught. That I mean, first of all, I got none of that in PT school. And so when you went off and did stuff, it was very diagnosis specific. It wasn't you know, how to manage this stuff through the lifespan. It was very kind of, this is your diagnosis. We do this number of treatments and blah, this is it. And it didn't match up with the shift that we were experiencing. Yeah. And so I think that's the thing that really has to be highlighted. I mean, I was talking to a PT student in February and she was second year and she's like, oh, I'm on a clinical, it's pelvic and ortho. And I'm like, 
you don't realize that these two things were never a thing together when I first started. I see you're starting 15 years ahead of where I did. Yeah. And she's starting 15 years ahead of where most PTs are practicing. Well, exactly. Pelvic health lens only of like, we're going to do kegels and we're going to like hold and like, there's place for that, of course. But like, then being able to like, look at like all the other things that complemented ortho, neuro, sport, being able to take like bits from different practices right? yes. and then being able to incorporate it into like a holistic yes. to helping a human, which yeah. is coaching 101. That is coaching. That's coaching. Right. But I think we get PTs tend to get really specialized and, and get so zoomed in there yes. that we're not zooming out to actually help people. And it's, it's getting more. So I'll be honest, there's, there's a lot more PTs that are, you know, going straight into pelvic, which I, I personally don't agree with um, because I feel like you need some context from some other areas and you're missing kind of this whole thing. Um, it's, But that's where, I, again, I think the collaboration with coaches and trainers who have that different background to be able to kind of mash this stuff up together. And again, look holistically. We talked about the mental health piece before and kind of the mindset and all of that. Like, it all has to be part of it. When I started PT school, this is not at all what I thought I would be doing. But in retrospect, being able to address all parts of a person's lifestyle, their day, like how they, you know, not just be like, here are these exercises and do them. Like, hey, guess what? You're having trouble getting to this. Let's figure out where is the best part of your day. Why don't we get that set up? Like lifestyle sorts of things, right. habit building, like all of that stuff to encompass that. Like, that's what providers need to be doing. Having that network of, okay, when you're done with this acute stuff, I can pass you along to, you know, to, to, to Katie Mackers and she's going to help you get ready for, you know, your triathlon and, and, you know, coach D and she's going to help you get ready for your marathon. Like having that continuum is so freaking new, but it's such a gorgeous thing. (laughs) You're right. It is, it is happening in like small, small pockets. We're able to really collaborate and refer people. We have, and incre- like we have over 3000 coaches around the world. I know. Like we have grown astronomically with PNPA coaches who maybe they can't solve all the problems, but they're going to help you filter. Like yes. they, if nothing else can help you filter, like what is the next right thing? Yes. I don't have to understand or participate in dance in order to be able to help a dancer. Right. You don't have to do CrossFit in order to know how to help a CrossFitter, at least from like a a very basic level that, you know what, they're certainly not hearing from their doctor. They're not hearing from their CrossFit coach and they're probably not really hearing from their physical therapist either. So right. how can we filter your next right thing? And that is, yeah. I think truly what the art of like the art that pregnancy and postpartum athleticism coaches are bringing to the table is like we yeah. can filter and guide to help triage what has happened. Yes. Like it- that yeah. first line of defense, collecting information and saying, and this is what we can do with it. Yeah. No, I mean, and, and I, I, I love problem solving that way. We're like, let's see what we've got. Let's see yeah. what resources we need to bring in. And if you, I DM you if, all the time. if you, I know it's, it's all good. I like it. Um, no, like I, it, otherwise you're like throwing darts at the dartboard and hoping they stick. And that's where you get frustrated and you get patients that spend five, six, seven years down the line and they can't find what they're looking for. Not to mention um, thousands of dollars that they probably don't have in order yeah. to figure it out. And like, that's where I started at this point, eight or nine years ago, where I was yeah. like throwing money and time at 
so many different people where I was like, this is dumb. They don't get mm-hmm. what I do. They don't get my body. None of that makes sense from like an anatomy and physiology perspective or a strength and conditioning perspective. Right. I know enough to know that doesn't make sense. And that was yeah. like eight or nine years ago where I was saying this, this doesn't make sense. That's well, not I, how muscles work. That's not how tissues work. Why, why, why is it being presented and guided this way when like yeah. still have a body and I, I know like, movement. So it doesn't, it never made sense. It's just interesting. And I know we just recently talked about somebody who is living out of the country and is up against a lot of different barriers between like, she knows enough to know this is not accurate information that I'm being given, but also yep. what's my next right thing. Yeah. And I, I, is that from Encanto? I swear to God, that's from a Disney movie. <laughs> I don't know what it is. Anyway, point being, I was, I was thinking as you were saying that, like, I would almost prefer to be ignorant than know, oh my gosh, there's an answer here. And I just don't know how to find it or get the resources and that sort of thing. And, and that's why I think, you know, you and I probably spend so much time in DMs and emails and that sort of thing just helping steer people in the right direction because you it is just an absolute freaking gift and privilege to be like okay i if i tell you a couple little things it's going to get you going in the direction that one could save your mental health mm-hmm. two that could get you where you're going and three um it, once you get there you're now going to have that information to be able to pass it along to somebody else and so it's it's like an it's like a, a grassroots advocacy piece where you're like okay I, I, I'm going to help one person at a time, but I, I think again with with social media that you know the world is this really small place, um, you have to be aware that there are variances. Um, I'm very fortunate, you know, when I was in the Academy of Public Health to be a delegate to the World Congress for Physical Therapy and have conversations with physios from Saudi Arabia that were literally just trying to get women recognized um, for basic treatment. Um, You know, African countries where you're just trying to get basic education out, not to mention fistulas and kind of all that other stuff too. Like, I think when you understand just the broad expanse of where we are, it's like, okay, where this person was, she was able to get some care on a regular basis. And we don't want to discount that, but we want to leverage what's good about that to match the situation, but also help that person feel um, empowered to say, you know what, knowing what I know and 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 you know, been educated on, I'm gonna use this local resource here for this because that's helpful for me. Um, I may want to emit some of this other stuff because it's not as up to date. But how else can I? Um, kind of adjunct this and move this along and um, not have to do it alone though, too. Like it's hard. I mean, I'm learning something new every day with every new patient. That's the thing people don't realize. I'm like, I don't have all the answers. I've just seen a hell of a lot of patterns and I I can have a pretty good idea how this is going to play out, but I don't know. Um, Find somebody that has used to that. And that's where kind of your resources can be incredibly helpful is like find those people that resonate with we're coming or or not trying to sell you a bunch of Kool-Aid, but helping you work with what you have and, and help you find that path forward. I think what it comes down to is people need to be seen and heard and validated at like every level, but especially during seasons, like where they feel like something's wrong with their vagina. Like it is so, 
I have seen that. Like people are like, I just, I don't even know how to communicate this, but I'm so embarrassing. And I don't want to feel like I, I have to hide this and it, I can't even talk to my husband about it. I can't even talk to my partner about yeah. it. So to be able to have a coach or a practitioner that can give them some kind of light, yeah. light way is, is so critical because it can be a really lonely and dark place and, well, like, and it can just fuel an array of yes. like mental health struggles that then translate into exercise struggles and relationship struggles and like all these struggles and the root of it is just not being seen and supported and understood during such a vulnerable season in your life. And and here's the thing too, is again, it's not just isolated to that early postpartum period. Like I, this was probably a month, month and a half ago. Um, I had started to shift more protein, had forgotten about my fiber and all of a sudden nasty little hemorrhoid and prolapse symptoms. And I'm like, like, I know better. And then once that starts, you're like, how do I walk back from that? And you still want to be active and you still want to do the things and you know, okay, well, if I do this, this is going to make it worse, but I don't want to just sit and do nothing. And like, that's the thing I want people to understand is there's those of us that like, we've been in this space for a long time and it's still hard for us with what we know to navigate those pieces of it. Don't try and DIY it. Like um, I literally had to step back and be like, all right, if this is your patient, what are you going to do? Um, because you question everything and you're like, oh my God, if I tell people, then they think I'm, you know, awful there. Like we all make mistakes. We do these stupid things. Right? Oh, God, it's so true. Um, <laughs> literal right. pain in the ass, by the way, we're all better, but literal pain in the ass. <laughs> I mean, like we preach this stuff, we educate on this stuff mm-hmm. and then still walk in it yourself. For me, it's so, it's so attached to like the athlete brain conversation. Yeah. Like I know athletic maturity. I have this, I can, I can zoom out. I know exactly what I would tell my athlete if they were in the situation I'm currently in Mm -hmm. as an athlete with my jiu-jitsu stuff and all of my toxic bullshit comes out. And I'm like, God, I thought we were past this. I really thought, I really thought that I had this under better control or, you know, Mm -hmm. that I wouldn't like feel things this way. This is so brief from 10 years ago. (laughs) Here we fucking are, you know, like. But it's, I think it is a solid reminder of like, yeah. you can know and still struggle to yeah. make certain adjustments or to like navigate the hiccups that will are, that are inevitable. When you try any new thing, when you change any new thing, when yeah. life changes, when seasons change, when your body changes, like we become very adaptable and we just have to know how to like zoom back out and yes. like, Instead of being but, like so zoomed in, but it's hard. that's that's an amazing point because one of the things that I, I I am not one of those PTs that I need to be somebody's person. I was like my my goal is for you to advocate for yourself, for you to have a, a triage plan, and then if things go really wrong, then you wave the flag and and I'm there. Um, and it's one of those things where. I want you to be able to triage for yourself and problem solve because you're going to have those ebbs and flows. You're going to have times where your kid's not sleeping. You're going to have times where you have an injury or you had too much protein and you got to deal with that. Like It's how you kind of come out of those situations and navigate them. Um, and and what's interesting, the, the point of life that I'm in right now and, and you're getting close is you know, your kids are getting a little bit older and you're like, okay, so I'm in this pregnancy postpartum space, but personally I'm looking forward to, you know, peri and and menopause. And you thought postpartum was a shit show. (laughs) It's bad. It's really bad. I I hear, I'm like, is this where, like, is this, 
the trend of where my career is going to go. Buckle keep- up, honey. That's where we're going next. <laughs> I know. I mean, I'm so aware and it's, you know, I'm 37 and so far, like, you know, like nothing, but I am like talking to my doctor, like, I want to get a baseline of where my hormones are at right now. Cause I know that shit's about to change. Get, get yourself some vaginal ago. estrogen, my dear, like start there. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, I mean, I, I remember you had Stacey Sims on, I think it was a couple of years ago now. And, um, you know, I, I feel like, again, the vocalness that our generation, um, I, I think that have gone through things. I'm, I'm about to be 47, so I'm a little bit ahead, but I think, feel like we're kind of moving through life similarly. Um, the vocalness and the advocacy that we have had to find for ourselves, we're going to need to do it again. Yeah. Um, and the nice thing is we're rehearsed at it and hopefully not too tired. And hopefully we've got some more researchers and things on board. And, and, you know, just by the looks of the female athlete conference that was in Boston last weekend, things are looking better in that direction, but, um, it, it just, there's just more work to do yeah. and I'm okay with that. Yeah. I'm okay with that. <laughs> we're, we're to it now. I don't think we're going anywhere. You know, there's one question I wanted to ask yeah. you it's actually what sparked wanting to bring you on the podcast again was when somebody has been diagnosed with prolapse, they're often, and sometimes that can be by their PT. Sometimes it's by their OBGYN, OBGYN to then maybe pelvic PT. If they actually get a referral there, I want you to touch on a, when a referral is needed insurance and C a prescription for a pessary. And of course, this is all like US based information. Yes. So if you're listening from another country, take it for a grain of salt. Obviously, things are probably very different yep. for you there. But based on those three, I'd like to call them barriers that people yes. um, experience when they're navigating changes to their pelvic health. Okay. All of those have, I'm going to preface by saying there's a bunch of assumptions that you've got to check before people come in. Typically, prolapse diagnosis will come one of two ways. It will either come because the person has noticed it themselves and then consulted Dr. Google, or they have seen their friendly OB or the pelvic floor provider who happened to just mention offhand something and that person did not have any symptoms. Um, Those are two. What would be something that they notice? that would make them think that they have a prolapse for those who do not know what prolapse. Sure. So that, that I love that conversation because like those of us with prolapse, if you know, you know, like people are like, Oh, do I have, I'm like, trust me, you would know. Like typically it's heaviness or pressure. It may or may not fluctuate with activity or constipation. Sometimes it feels like a tampon is just kind of hanging out and floating around. Sometimes you feel like something bulging out of either your vagina or your rectum, typically your vagina. Um, sometimes you can actually feel something. Um, the assumptions that are there, and I want to preface that by saying, this is something that we have learned more in the last few years. This is not how we used to treat it. Um, that the grade or the severity, um, the grade, meaning measuring how much it is out of your body. Um, one or two is just to the opening two and beyond. And there's different scales. There's three uh, out of three and then out of four. Those are basically out of your body. Um, that can be bladder, uterus, or rectum, or all the above, when you can also have mobility of your urethra. Okay. And another timeout, it's (laughs) actually that organ coming out of your body, or are we seeing something differently? It's, uh, yeah. So 
<laughs> Usually it's the I'm wall. Just, I'm asking the questions that people. No, they're good questions. They're good bladder. questions. Yeah. So what you'll see is like different things. Like I do think so. So they're walls essentially. Um, I got really lucky. I had a cadaver dissection, fresh cadaver dissection in April, and we don't get to see those very much. And every time I go, I'm like, oh my god, how do we even walk around? Like it's the most beautiful thing. And fresh cadavers are just gorgeous, bright colors. And you really see these delineations, these fascial walls, the vaginal walls, that sort of thing that you have um, walls. um, But if you have like an anterior prolapse, it would be more kind of like the bladder and the anterior wall kind of collapsing down into the vaginal opening. Same thing with posterior. The uterus, you would see the actual kind of cervix start to come down. But all the other organs collapse into vaginal walls. So what if you're seeing something, what you're most likely seeing, unless it's your uterus, is the wall, the tissue of the wall that's being kind of collapsed into. Yes, exactly. I like to make that clarification. (laughs) People are like, my bladder fell out. And I'm like, probably not, but it might feel like. It might feel like it. Yeah, Yeah. no, totally. Um, So all those timeouts, but these are, these are. No, I think they're important. They're important. Mm -hmm. And then you can also um, have a rectal prolapse where the rectum almost like kind of works itself outside the rectum. Um, That's a whole nother animal as well. but what we do know is the severity or the grade does not always equal the symptoms that you have. And I remember always being confused by this. I have a, a client years ago, she, lovely woman came in, very kind of insignificant subjective intake. She mentioned she shoved something back in. I'm like, okay, fine. I lift up the sheet to do the exam and there's basically like a rutabaga on the table. It's her rectum. And I'm like, okay, there's not anything I'm going to do about that. This is surgical. No symptoms other than she had to stuff it in to kind of get out of the way to have a bowel movement. Oh God. And, you know, and then are like, what the fuck? And then, and so this is why you don't look on Google. Um, but then on the other end, I can't tell you how many women that I've seen over the years that they swear they feel something and they go to their OB and the OB is like, I don't see anything. And we'll test them in standing, like lying down, whatever. We don't see anything. And so then they're like, oh, well, I'm crazy. And what we started to realize is like, you very much feel this, but what is it that you're feeling? Is it actually, and this is one of the the, the patterns that we're start, starting to see is a lot of overactivity, hypersensitivity, that you have this hyper awareness of something being there. And so it's a very slippery slope when people are like, you know, can, can pelvic floor PT fix my prolapse? My first question is, what do you think fix is? Um, and then we have to go back and look at what their understanding is of organs. And people do not, they have this idea that your organs are in your body like concrete. And then when you start to explain, okay, well, if your bladder's full, it's going to move stuff out of the way. Or if your rectum's full, it's going to move stuff out of the way. Like it's a very kind of like plastic, it, it, it moves it's supposed to move. The goal is not to put it back and it stays static where it was before. The goal is like, you wouldn't have looked if you didn't have symptoms in the first place. So that's typically the goal of therapy. We may not necessarily be able to change position. People that do hypopressives that they talk about that. I don't know if that's been truly proven, but um, you can change those symptoms in a lot of cases. Now, as far as, you know, insurance and referral. There's a lot of misconceptions out there. In all 50 states, you do not, by law, you can see a pelvic floor physical therapist without a physician's order. 
That said, if you want your insurance to cover it, the insurance, because insurance dictates care, they may have a different rule that is different from state law. Um, so you need to know about your insurance provider. And in some cases, and I know this from working in hospital-based, an evaluation with me in a hospital-based setting, they would bill the insurance company like a thousand bucks to see me because they had a deal with the insurance company to like, okay, we're only going to pay you 60%. And then your insurance company says to you, okay, I'm only going to pay 80% of allowable and allowable is this. So the hospital barely got enough to pay me and keep the lights on. You're thinking you're getting a deal because you're only paying your copay and your deductible, which is actually a, a lot. And but then you have people that look at me and they're like, "Oh, well, you're, you're expensive." I'm like, actually, at the end of the day, it's about the same. This is why there's such a good argument for cash-based practices, even if we, even if it's hard to see that. All of the providers that I know and trust, save like one or two, have moved out because, again, and and you know, this is this is the world we live in. Um, it's about money. And um, a lot of hospital-based practices are going from an hour to 45 minutes, or they want you to co-treat or you know, be treating multiple patients at the same time. Like That's really hard in pelvic. But I think that the thing to understand is um, I hear this a lot. Oh, pelvic PT isn't covered by my insurance. No, that's... If you have PT as part of your coverage... Public PT is included in that. And I think also in the States, there's a bill going forward to get better coverage um, for pregnant postpartum care, including pelvic floor PT. That's what the bill is, not any other pelvic floor provider um, for uh, Medicaid and Medicare. So typically insurances as Medicaid and Medicare goes, they follow that. So that's in the loop there. And then you had another question, pessaries. Um, that has changed since... December 2022. And wait, hold on. What is a pessary? Okay. <laughs> Let me reach into my magic box here. Um, all the things. Think, um, and I don't know if this is like such a 70s thing. Think like a diaphragm, <laughs> which was birth control back then. Basically, you're putting it up in. it. It's a shelf between your pubic bone and your posterior kind of so vagina like and, a menstrual cup yes sort of phenomenon, right exactly exactly i actually had a client the other day that we wanted to see if this would be a good idea and she couldn't even keep a tampon in. and i was like you know what why don't you try a menstrual disc mm -hmm. and she did the disc because they're a little bit more broad and she's like two things one i don't have to worry about extra extra pads for my flow and two it supported her organs um, cause she was having some issues when we had purple air quality because of all the forest fires and that kind of stuff with coughing. Um, so these devices prior to recently, um, the people that were prescribing them were primarily GYNs, um, and urogynecologists. So let's take your gynecologist who's a specialist. It's going to take you a mm, couple months to get in to see them. You see them your first visit, then you've got to schedule fitting and then you've got to come back again, get that checked. The context in which I would refer someone for pessary fitting, I would want to rule everything else out or I would have them make the appointment. We would work on the stuff. And if it didn't work out, they kept their appointment. Now um, we have pelvic floor PTs in the US that basically were like, hey, this is kind of an orthotic, um, which it really is. And I was trained through the Academy of Pelvic Health PT 
um, and they have a collaboration with a, a vendor that says, hey, if you've taken this course, we'll give your clients a discount. Like this is 40 bucks. So that's so the other thing too. The need is basically PTs yes. learning how to actually fit them and having yeah. the course, going through the course to do that. Exactly. So how I use them is incredibly different now because there's not this massive barrier to go get fit. So I might have clients that they've got an, a ton of symptoms early on Obi says, yeah, that's fine. We, you know, things can go up there all good. Let's say mom's got a toddler and she's got symptoms in a new baby. We need to kind of put the kibosh on those symptoms to allow her to, to do those things but that like she has to do. Exercise where there's exactly. fever and you're just like, yep. I know it'll give me the extra level of like, of mental support feeling yes. like things are more secure, like a sports bra for your vagina. That's exactly. That's with, totally with it. Is like this, even if it just gives you the mental relief that your vagina is a little bit more supportive. So you're stop being so robotic in your movement. You can just yeah. actually like freaking move in something about your vagina. Then that alone is enough incentive to use one. Well, and, and also when we're thinking about the context of patients and, and this one is uh, just for prolapse and then the ones with the little knobs can be for leakage as well. And, and the dish can be for prolapse. So that um, the urethra. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and so here's the thing too, now that we know that there's uh, a, a subset of people that have symptoms related to overactivity, think about it. If you're freaked out about that falling out or that symptom all the time, you're going to go here more. But if you have something that's supporting that, your brain gets a little bit of a break. It's going to allow us an ability to try to change strategies. And then we can gradually increase activity and taper off that device. Ripping so, high tension athletes can sort of learn yes. let go without having to actively exactly I'm going to relax my pelvic floor now which exactly is- so i i learned to do the fittings in december of 2022 and how i am considering using them is far sooner um i, I had a new mom that i think she got fit at like 10 12 weeks cuz she was going to disney and i was like okay first of all you got balls to go to disney with a 12 week old um, but she was going to be there with family and friends. And I was like, you know what? I would just pop that sucker in just the whole week. And you don't need to be thinking about that. So just, I, I think again, as, as we get more access to things, we drop these stupid barriers, how we can utilize resources and, you know, things like this can be just much more innovative and supportive for the patient. So is there like a PSA that goes out to pelvic health PTs? Like, Hey, you should take this course. So then you can fit your patients for pessary. Like, uh, that would be me. No, <laughs> like, I'm just wondering, like, how is that? How do PTs even know that that's like a thing now? Like, how is so, I, I will say, okay. So, so pelvic, <laughs> yeah, that's a big, that's question. my own selfish question, right? People in the podcast are probably like, we don't care. No. So this, care. this is, so you're not all pelvic floor PTs and not all PTs are part of their professional association. Okay. The, the Academy of Pelvic Health PT, they um, have a PT and a urogynecologist who happen to be local to me here. I've known them for years, decide to put this course forward because the PT, Mary Austin used to work um, at Walter Reed and within the military system and the urogyne that she met there, like all this stuff PTs can do in the, the military system. And a lot of good things do filter out from there. And so they basically said, hey, we're going to offer this course. They worked out the logistics. And one of the beautiful things about this is they navigate. If you are in a health system, these are going to be the 
the things, the hoops that you have to jump through. It's different hoops than what I have to jump through as far as like sanitation of like sizing kits and, um, you know, those sorts of things. How do you get equipment? Like it's, there's a lot of logistics that are involved in that. And so I think part of it is being aware of the advocacy that your professional association is doing. And then also being aware that you can use these in different ways and it, it would behoove us to be able to have access sooner. So I, I've been very vocal about my training and my fitting in them, um, but also understanding too, that you have some states that are going to put restrictions on practice acts. Um, and so that's one of the things that was discussed is like, hey, we're going to teach you guys this, but it's ultimately up to you to touch base with your um, your state practice act. Um, and some of them are weird. Like um, Virginia, we didn't have, like you had to have, uh, an order for dry needling up until that's changing July 1st. So when I was in DC, like literally two miles away, I didn't need an order for anything. My practice here, all of a sudden I needed all this extra stuff. So that's also for me, again, past president, um, working a lot with APTA and the Academy of Public Health, it's important to support advocacy efforts because it leads to stuff like this, that we can move that needle. I know it doesn't feel that way sometimes, um, but that's one of the ways sometimes that we can kind of push that for that stuff forward. Can they petition to their state and say <laughs> like, so they can petition, even if it's not currently allowed, they can petition it and maybe get it. Well, and that's <laughs> talk about that in there too. Following you on it. <laughs> or is no, there like I mean, it's of the law and spirit of the law. I don't know. <laughs> no. And, and here's the thing too. And again, like I, I think if you're in private practice, you know, it, it's, it, you, you understand these things a little bit better is like, you're never going to have um, things that delineate 100% of everything. And so what you're looking at is, do we have comparables? Um, you know, there was a whole thing a number of years ago of like, do we need to have a separate order to do an internal assessment? And it's like a muscle's a muscle. Why should I need extra permission? If, I, if you're asking for extra permission, does that imply that you shouldn't be doing it in the first place? So that's like a whole legal thing. But what I will say, because um, I'm not a lawyer, is um, in this particular course, they've addressed that and how to go about reaching out to your states and doing it in a way that is most likely to be beneficial to you being able to do that. Interesting. <laughs> and it's interesting. And like, I, the silver lining to me is we've made a lot of freaking progress in a very short like, this is a really big deal. Um, we've, you and I, on your end and my end, have both had people come to us extremely recently saying like, either A, I can't really get into my Eurogyne or my Eurogyne yep. is going to take a long time to get this pessary. And I just really need this pessary because I'm freaking miserable. Like I cannot lift, I cannot move, I cannot do these things. And their quality of life is being, is being significantly diminished. So mm -hmm. we can have some barriers removed where this is almost like, we don't believe in quick fixes, but like, this is a freaking great quick fix. Like, this is a great quick fix that like we can utilize that improves quality of yeah. life. And it doesn't dismiss the work we can do with PT no. and, and rehab and progress in the gym. No. It's not replacing that. It's complementing what we can encourage our, our clients, our patients, our athletes to pursue if they need that quite literally extra support. Well, and, and here's the other thing, like in this one particular expat situation that we're talking about, it was like, okay, I, it wouldn't be ethical for me to be like, here, let me just send you this thing without fitting you. Like, but what things do we have that are over the counter that can be it's indicators? Like Amazon, right? Like, well, <laughs> like, I mean, 
No, you can't. And so that's literally what I sent her. I was like, okay, there's this one. This it's like Revive or something like that. I, I, there's the Impressa that has a fitting kit. Like again, last week I had the client that we did the the menstrual disc. I was like. And that's where, again, like, I think we've got to have some creativity here. If like, even if we can't get this and we can't fit it right, what are the things that we can do to give you support? I had another, I saw another PT. She was recommending putting two tampons in um, instead of one. I was like, okay, you know, because I've had enough women where you could get two tampons up in there. How can we, again, how can we problem solve creatively while we're still working on these barriers. And I think that's the thing is we're just, and I was telling this person this morning, like why I think we resonated so much is we're not willing to take no for an answer. We're like, all right, well, how can we do this? And it's not MacGyvering, but like it's, we're we're bastardizing what the hell is out there and we're going to make it work. And that's going to drive kind of that next piece. So it can be legitimized and can be standard of practice and those sorts of things. So I think that's exactly it. It's like being willing to get really creative and like coaching mm-hmm. by nature is a creative like it is. vision. Like you got to be able to connect all these different dots. And, you know, 10 years ago, that's when I had that exposure to like, there are so many dots and dots that I didn't know were even dots until like I experienced this firsthand before I didn't give a shit. Honestly, yeah. if my birth would have gone like great and my recovery would have been gone great, I still wouldn't give a shit. But it right. didn't. And it was like such an eye-opening experience to be able to sit and say, okay, there are these significant dots that are connected to women, yep. especially during these particular seasons that aren't just about these seasons. These can really kind of make or break what the lifetime of athleticism looks yeah. like. It's not even just about pregnancy or right. diastasis or prolapse incontinence. It's about what this means for the quality of life for this person at a functional level, a fitness yeah. level, health level, like all these different levels. And yet we get so hyper-focused on these seasons or dismissive of these seasons. Right. Both Still, we see both. And there's a lot that we can do by creating awareness, having this, this education. And then, like we said, just being really creative and well, what can we do? What is the next right thing? And you've done a great job of being that resource in your field and kind of combining brains. um, I love it. You know, this work that I'm doing and I'm so glad we have each other. (laughs) I know. And one of these days we're going to be in the same place. (laughs) I'm not going to make it happen because I guess I I forget that these people that I've like talked to for so many years online, I like haven't actually met yep. her, but it feels like I have. I it does. Know. Yeah, no, totally. <laughs> like I know a decent amount about you in so many ways. And I do. You like, do. Um, yeah. Thank you for growing up with me in this, my friend. I appreciate Absolutely. it. Absolutely. And for having such a good, candid conversation. Like we were talking before we started recording, like I don't have any questions written down, but I know that you and I can riff all day. <laughs> and um, we just, I think it's important for people to overhear these conversations yeah. that you and I kind of naturally have on the side yeah. all the time about why we're mad or what we've, what, what someone just told us and, you know, just yeah. what's the work that we're doing. And I think it's important for people to, to know what's actually happening behind the scenes and then mm-hmm. a not feel alone if it's them. And then B as somebody who like, has the privilege and the power and the knowledge to do something differently. Like we freaking can and we better. Well, and, and to have agency to feel the ability to contribute to the conversation too. Cause again, it's not just two of us. It's all of us. It's so many of us that are going to keep moving this needle forward. And uh, long after we're gone, there's more work still to do. So. <laughs>
they got to link up some arms here and just keep trying yeah. to change the game for people. So Carrie, totally. where can people contact you, learn from you, work with you? Just yeah. Give us your info. So I, I tend to hang out in, on Instagram. It's a little nicer there. Um, it's uh, at Carrie Pagliano. And then um, to work with me locally here in the DC metro area or virtually, it's uh, CarriePagliano.com. Okay. And if somebody, say, in a state where they don't have a PT that, like, quote, gets them, they want to work with you. Yeah. They can work with you. Is that what you're yeah. saying? Through virtual PT. It's it's one of those things that again I, I try and work with as it's more of in a consultant sort of role. Um, it, we're lucky in in the U.S. that we've got a lot of uh, reciprocity with uh, licensure compact and that sort of thing. But my whole thing is it, it, again it can't be about me. We've got to make sure that we've got boots on the ground and and people that if they're willing to learn, I'm I'm happy to bring them along the way. So. Absolutely. Yeah. Harry, thank you for sharing your time. If you want to Always. learn, Harry, I'm. We have another podcast with her that we recorded really early on of like what to um what to expect in a public PT visit, your first visit. That was one of our earlier podcasts. And then Carrie contributed to the coach certification, pregnancy and postpartum athleticism, where we talked about all things public health, but a lot more dialed in um, on incontinence and types of incontinence and experiences, symptoms, what to do, and same for prolapse, what it is and what we can actually do um, at an individual level and as coaches to help our clients who are experiencing these pelvic health symptoms. So if that piques your interest, I would love to have you become a pregnancy and postpartum athleticism coach because we have a lot of great people that contributed to the course um, with their expertise and knowledge to really create a holistic, well-rounded, evidence-based, but practical application of, you know, women's health for pregnancy and postpartum athleticism. Thanks for being here, Carrie. Thanks for having me. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Practice Brave podcast. If you enjoyed the show, please leave a review and help us spread the work we are doing to improve the overall information and messaging in the fitness industry and beyond. Now, if you are pregnant and you are looking for a trustworthy exercise program to follow, I have you covered. The Pregnant Athlete Training Program is a well-rounded program for pregnancy with workouts for each week that are appropriate for your changing body. That's 36 weeks of workouts, three to four workouts each week, and tons of guidance on exercise strategy. We also have an at-home version of that program. If you are postpartum and you're looking for an exercise program to follow, the eight-week postpartum athlete training program would be a really great way to help bridge the gap between rehab and the fitness you actually want to do. From there, we have the Practice Brave Fitness Program, which is an ongoing strength conditioning program where you get new workouts each week and have a lot of guidance from myself and my co-coach, Heather Osby. This is the only way that I'm really offering ongoing coaching at this point in time. If you have ever considered becoming a certified pregnancy and postpartum athleticism coach, I would love to have you join us. Pregnancy and postpartum athleticism is a self-paced online certification course that will up-level your coaching skills and help connect the dots between pelvic health and long-term athletic performance, especially during pregnancy and postpartum. Become who you needed and become who your online and local community needs by becoming a certified pregnancy and postpartum athleticism coach. Thank you again for listening to the Practice Brave podcast. I appreciate you and please help me continue spreading this messaging, this information and this work. Mm -hmm.